Well, I, I'm focusing on, I'm, I'm looking at a particular passage. I read you the larger section out of uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. But I'm zeroing in on one particular part of it that you've probably heard before. So let me read you this passage, but I'm going to take a little, uh, little different focus this morning. So it, the, the uh, passage of focus is verse 15, where it says, But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And I'm calling today's sermon, The Hope We Have. See, we're in a world where there is turbulence all over the place. And I'm not talking about when you're on a a flight and you hit a storm. I mean, look at our society. You know, know, we have the the political scene is, quite frankly, a nightmare. I'm not talking about who's in charge, but just all the stuff happening back and forth. And if you're a person who, like me, can start talking back to the TV, I encourage you to turn it off because they can't hear you. Or so my wife tells me. <laughs> Turn it off and, and, and rest a little bit. But am I right? Yeah, it's, 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 it's topsy-turvy right now. You know, uh, when we look at our economy, it's going good. And then eight years ago, it went really bad. And according to economists, it's going to go really bad again. But we don't know. It's unsure. But it can make us anxious. Any of you watching your retirement? Wondering what's going to happen? Can make, make, cause a little bit of anxiety? Am I right? Yeah. Financial institutions, there's scandals and they talk about bleak futures. We have wars. Are, are we winning in the Middle East or losing? Or should we pull out or not? We just don't know. You, you hear about the incredible deaths of what ISIS did. It was just terrible and is terrible what's going on there. We, we get reports about marriages and families crumbling, children going by the wayside. There's a lot of good in the world, but there, you agree with that there's a lot of bad as well. And, and think about your personal lives. How many of you have experienced a personal tragedy within the last year? And whether it's a death in the family, financial loss, a betrayed friendship, anything like that? Because that is life, isn't it? As long as we're here on this earth... There is groaning. Creation groans and we groan for good reason. But I want you to know that we have something different. Something that helps us see our way through all this. Let me just do, I love this illustration. Uh, years ago, there was a submarine that was uh, rammed by another ship and it quickly sank. The entire crew was trapped in in its prison of death. Ships rushed to the scene of disaster off the coast of Massachusetts. We don't know what happened down in that sunken submarine, but we can be sure that the men clung bravely to life as the oxygen slowly gave out. A diver placed his helmeted ear to the side of the vessel and listened. He heard a, a tapping noise. Someone, he learned, was tapping out a question in the dots and dashes of the Morse code. The question came slowly. Is there any hope? That's a pretty graphic illustration, isn't it? Imagine that. But you know what? People in our world today, people in this room want to know the same thing. Is there any hope? Is there any hope? Where do you turn when you have problems, when you're facing trials? 
Who can you rely on? Who can you trust? Who will support you? All these questions come to mind. I, I have friends, too, that don't go to this church. I have non-Christian friends, and, and, and consistently, people, when trials come, where is their hope? They want to know. They want to know. But here's the deal. What we have in Christ and what should be evident in every person who names Christ as their Lord and Savior is the rock-solid, real hope we have, the secure hope, the eternal hope, because of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done on our behalf. And not just for eternity's sake, but also for today. Do you believe that? Well, I want to I look at that today. I want us to, to hear what this, this, this passage. Years ago, I heard, I heard this, and someone asked a challenging question. It says, it says to be prepared to make a defense. Okay, and I love apologetics. I love because what it does to encourage the saints and strengthen. I love all that. But he asked, I heard it asked this way. Be prepared to make a defense. Give a reason to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope you have. And here's what someone asked me. Asked actually all of us who are sitting in that room. They said, does anyone see the hope? So they would ask. Christians, do you hear that? Does our world see the hope we have in how we live and how we face trials? Are you challenged by that? Because it says be prepared to give an answer for anyone who asks you. That means they have seen something and they want to know. The question is, have they seen something? I'm not pointing at you, I'm pointing at me, okay? Please hear this. That's the challenging question in all this. And, and, you know, I do biblical counseling. And one of the things that we always try to do, because when people come in for hope and help, they're seeking, and it's hard. I mean, I just met with a person a couple weeks ago who'd never met me before, but they were so desperate, they were willing to come in to talk to anybody because they had reached the end of the road. What does that person need? Hmm, I hear what you're saying. Hmm, go and be blessed. Is that what they need? No. That's not what they need. They need hope. Now, they don't need wishful thinking, because that's not what the Bible says is true hope. We're going to look at that. What they need is something tangible and real. And folks, we have it. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have his word. And and I'm here to tell you this morning that uh, I I want us to walk out of here as people who are more hopeful. More hopeful. Okay? To think about the hope we have and how we can live differently because of that. And so people would see and would actually ask us. So let me give you a real briefly background of 1 Peter. We've just dropped right in the middle of this letter. It's obviously by Peter, the, the loudmouth leader of the disciples who stuck his foot in the mouth, his mouth all the time. I love him for that. I've done that once or twice a day. <laughs> but it's written towards the end of his life. Peter is a, a wise, uh, battle-scarred apostle. And uh, he's, he's been part of the, just the explosion of the church after the resurrection. And he's a different man than he was before the resurrection. Wasn't perfect, but he's a different man. 
And he's writing to, to Christians around the world who are under severe persecution. And he's, he's writing them a letter, one, to encourage them in, in who they are because of Jesus Christ, what they have in Christ. And then he's, he's encouraging them how to live in a world that is opposed to them. How do you live in a, in a, in a, in a hostile world evangelistically? And that's what the whole letter is about. So we're, we're right in this passage right here where he's, he's shifting gears a little bit. And he's, he's talking to them and, and he's encouraging them, how do you respond when evil is done to you? Okay. And by the way, I thought this was such an interesting note. I love history, so you have to bear with me a little bit. But the persecution happened to the early church, not just, hey, I believe in Jesus. There was things culturally that were arrayed against the church. Let me just give you a little hint here. Christians, likely reasons that the society pushed back and persecuted Christians All right, from the first century. First of all, one of the things that rubbed them wrong was that Christian wives and slaves exhibited independence in choosing to become Christians apart from the leader of the family. Back then it was pater, uh, what is that? I have the word right here. Pater potestas, there we go. As the father, so the family. But when Christianity started exploding, children, wives, slaves would become Christians even though the leader of the family was not. That went against the whole feel of their society. That's one reason. Also, too, they, there was a misinterpretation of, of different texts that there was a per, because of it, there was a perception that Christianity promoted sexual immorality, even incest, because of the brother and sister language, even amongst married couples. Right? My, Renee is my wife, and spiritually, she's my sister. So that was another misunderstanding. Christianity was equated with magic because of all the talk of miracles and similarities to magicians in their culture. Christianity was also seen as atheistic because Jesus was not some nebulous God out there. He was a man. And in their mind, he wasn't a God. So really, the religion, they were really atheists. They were against the gods. And, And also, too, because Christianity rejected society's gods and didn't worship the state gods of Rome. Because they had, everyone had to ascribe to uh, emperor worship, and they refused to. Because who's the emperor we worship? Jesus Christ. There's also governmental persecution, because Christians were accused of causing riots and civil unrest. What? Well, what happened in, in Ephesus when Christianity exploded in that city? Uh, the idol making uh, guild was pretty upset, weren't they? And they started a riot. But it was, you know, foisted upon the Christians. Uh, the government also um, it was against Christianity because they refused to participate in emperor worship. And because Christians viewed God as a higher authority than the emperor. So, these, that's, that's the society then that uh, had severe persecution for all those different reasons. Now, at the very root of it, what is it? Well, it's a rebellion against God. We know that. But I just thought that was interesting that this would be part of it, especially the part where we're, we're also accused of cannibalism. Did you know that? Well, what do we do in communion? This is my body. Eat it. Right? This is my blood, the blood of Christ. I mean, so it's, oh, cannibalism. No, <laughs> they're missing the point, missing what Jesus had said there. 
But do you see that? that? That's the culture when there's just an explosion of persecution. So here Peter is talking to people living like this and saying, here's, you're, you're being, evil's being done to you. Well, how do you reply? How do you respond? And his answer for them is don't fear your enemies, first of all. Okay, we see that in the verse just before, verse 13. It says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them nor be troubled. Don't fear them, fear God. Rather, love your enemies. Respond with good, respectfully, gently, reasonably. So again, we're in a world that's, we don't suffer here severe persecution yet. Folks, we need to be prepared because it is going to come. In every society, there's always been persecution eventually, of those who say they follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We're in an unusual time in history, in an unusual government, because of how it was founded, but the tide is turning. Am I right? I am. So I want to ground us in a hope. I want us to be anchored to a hope. I want us to be firmly founded and secured to the hope we have, so if it does happen, even in little ways, but increasingly in larger ways, so that we are ready, we are prepared for any kind of persecution, but even more so, we're prepared to give an answer. For what? For the hope that we have. So first of all, biblical hope is founded on a person. It says here, but in your hearts, honor Christ. The word says sanctify Sanctify Christ. Set him aside in your hearts as holy. Sanctify means to set aside. He, in our hearts, he's not just one option among many, among many ideas or philosophy. He is God. He is our God. And all mankind will answer to him. That's what Paul said in Acts 17 at the end of his witnessing on Mars Hill to the smartest men of his time. He said, God has appointed a man who's going to judge all mankind. And he proved that he's the one to be the judge when he rose him from the dead. All mankind is going to be judged by Jesus Christ. He is God. So we have to set him aside. We have to think of this. We have to, this is a choosing to do. He, if you're a Christian, he is your Lord and Savior. But we have to consciously keep him as the one who's the center of our life. Am I right? Because I war against that every day. Because I want what I want, how I want it, when I want it, and you better not get in my way. And do you ever feel that way? We have to set Jesus aside as holy. Set him apart. Jesus is not an idea. He is a person. He is the unique God-man. The transcendent God come near as a man. All authority is his, according to Matthew 28. All power is his, according to Philippians 3. All worship is due him. And that's just a small list. He is God. He is the king. And if he is truly, if he is truly who he said he was, then he does deserve all worship, obedience, total surrender to him and his ways. The Christians of that century were being persecuted for their naming of Jesus Christ as their Savior, as their Lord. Peter called on them to focus on him, not the persecutors and not the pain they delivered. 
Focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Stay anchored to him, secured to him in the midst of the persecution. And again, I I talked about this early, but let me clear up something here because words matter. In our culture, when we talk about hope, we mean, I wish. Perhaps, maybe, I really want it to be, but that's not what the Bible means when it uses this word. Hope. Hope is vastly different. Hope is the forward-thinking future part of faith. It's synonymous with faith, but it's the forward-thinking part of faith. Faith looks back and trusts based on the evidence. Hope looks forward expectantly. Hope is grounded. It's certain. It's expectant. It's assured. And we see this, for instance, in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of of things not seen. If you look at other places in, in the Bible about hope, the images used are very tangible. Not ethereal, but tangible. It's called a helmet, the helmet of salvation. That's what hope is. First Thessalonians 5.8 But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as helmet, the hope of salvation. Hope is called an anchor. Hebrews 6.19 This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil. An anchor. What does an anchor do for a boat? Keeps it in place. Keeps it in place. So we have a hope. It's secured. It's grounded. And and our hope is grounded. It's not a what. It's a who. It's a who. It's our risen Lord and Savior. God is called the God of hope. And Jesus is God's answer to man's hopelessness. Romans 5, 12 through 13. Again, Isaiah says, There shall come the root of Jesse, Jesus. And he who rises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This passage also asks us, I'm talking about 1 Peter now, to be ready to give an answer. So biblical hope is resting in his power and promises. That's the reasons we can give. We have reasons to talk about hope because we can look to a person and talk about his promises and his power so we can say, here's why you can have hope too. It says, always, be, always being prepared to make a defense. That word is, you probably heard this before, it's, it's the Greek word apologia. Okay? So it's, it's apa means from or out of, and logia is word. It's the word about something. It's the word on something. So uh, to make a defense, and this is also used in courtroom uh, settings, but here it's not because it says anyone who asks you anytime be prepared. It says to, to give the word about, to reason out. What are your reasons for believing in Jesus? This goes to the testimony. How many of you have written out a 30-second, 3-minute, and 30-minute and testimony? Have any of you? I was given that assignment when I was in high school. The funny thing is I wasn't a Christian yet. But it was something that stuck with me. When I did become a Christian and I started witnessing, it's like, Wow. That's right. That's a really good thing. What would, be, what would be the one thing I could say in 30 seconds if I would never see the person again? What would be the thing if I had three minutes, 30 minutes? What would I do? Where would I go? But that's what this is saying. Have you thought about 
why you believe what you believe. Oh, there's a class coming up about that. What is that? And we even talked about it in biblical counseling this morning, about Jesus' claims to be God and why it's so radical and why you have to believe that. That's core to our faith, folks. We have to have a thought-out, reasoned, confident, and ready answer. Why is it confident? Why, is it a, why, why can we give a confident answer? Because of who Jesus is and what he's done. When I talk to anyone in any cult, if they come to our door, I go right to Jesus. They want to talk about angels and all this other stuff. I'll go right to Jesus. Go right to Jesus. Get back to Jesus. Get back to Jesus. They want to show their Bible, and I say, okay, well, you can use your Bible, but you have to read out of mine too, because I want them to get into the living word of God. But I'm going to get to Jesus. He's my answer. He's the one who saved me. Let's get them to Jesus. So what are our reasons as we start thinking this through? So first of all, I want to look at Jesus and his resurrection, because that gives us grounds for hope. The resurrection, it says in Romans 1.4, is, is, it was the declaration by the spirit of who Jesus was. His resurrection proved something. Jesus said he would prove who he was by not only staying in the grave for three days, just like when he said, just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, so will the son of man. So it declares, and it says in Romans 1, 16 to 17, that the gospel is God's power to save. Taking from C.S. Lewis, Jesus made some audacious claims, especially to being God, and that he'd prove it from rising from the dead. And C.S. Lewis says that you can't take him as a good moral teacher. He's either a liar, very evil, or a lunatic out of his mind, or he is who he said he was, Lord. You ever heard that? He's the Lord, liar, or lunatic. It's from the book Mere Christianity, a great little book. And that's just it. His resurrection changes everything. The fact of the life, death, and resurrection confirms that all he said and promised and claimed is true. It's part of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 11. I'll just do 3, three 4, and, and 11. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then talks about the various appearances. Whether it was then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. We have hope because of the resurrection. We have grounds for hope. Read, I, in my biblical counseling class this morning, I said your homework is to read 1 Corinthians 15, the whole chapter. It's the whole focus is the resurrection. We have hope. Because of his resurrection. If the, hope, if the resurrection is not true, you know what Paul says we are in verse 19? We are to be pitied. If there's no resurrection, then Jesus isn't raised from the dead. And folks, we have no hope. So we're focusing on the resurrection next week in my class. The, the fact, the historical facts behind the resurrection. Because it is true. It is true. And because he is a living savior... We have a living hope. Patrick, you read that this morning. You stole some of my thunder. <laughs> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's an imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 1 Timothy 4.10 says, "For, For it is this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Our hope is for salvation for the future, but it also makes a difference for living now. The resurrection is not just something we put in our back pocket saying, yep, I'm going to be resurrected and I get to go to heaven. No, it's to influence us now. Hope influences now. Hope produces joy that remains even through the most difficult trials, according to these various passages. Hope produces perseverance, Romans 8, 24 and 25. Hope produces confidence. Hope produces effective ministry. Hope produces even greater faith and love. Hope produces consistency. Hope produces increased energy and enthusiasm. It produces stability, a more intimate relationship with God, and personal purity. Do you want all these things in your life? That's what hope does. The hope that God gives us in Jesus Christ. If these things aren't in your life, you don't see these things, talk to me. Let's find out why. You might have some false hopes that you're trusting. My bank account, my good looks. Whatever your accomplishments may be, these are all false hopes, folks. Your your retirement account, your home, you name it, all that stuff's going to go. Those are false hopes, and they will never carry you like Jesus Christ can. So that's, that's his resurrection and his, his living. But we also have his miracles, his life and his teaching to give us grounds for hope, do they not? People were amazed when they heard Jesus. They couldn't believe what he was doing. His enemies could not deny he did miracles. They had to attribute it to Satan. But for us, we get to see this and say, wow, this is that miracle worker. And he said, he said oh, this is just a taste. Amazing. We see in John 14, 10 and 11. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. If you don't believe his words, just look at his works and you'll be, you have to say there's something different about this man. And there is. He is the grounds for our hope. His promises, uh, his promises give us grounds for hope. He promised to save, to forgive, to grant eternal life, to guide, to teach, and to return and reward his, his followers. And I'll just say just a couple passages. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not what perish but have eternal life. Jesus said that. Those are Jesus' own words about himself. We can have hope because of what he said. He promised this. John 11, 25 through 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So biblical hope is, is, is rests in his power and promises. But here's the deal. Biblical hope is to be shared. 
This is being prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. But do it with gentleness and respect, by the way. Uh, I, I know I've, I've heard that tomorrow there's going to be a group protesting in front of Thousand Oaks High School in the name of Christ. I don't think they're obeying this. Gentleness and respect. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's the Westboro uh, group who, who carry some very, very mean-spirited signs. And, and while it's true that people need to repent and be saved, that is absolutely true and to believe in Jesus Christ. How they're doing it is not exhibiting this at all. Gentleness and respect. Hopeful. I don't think so. So what does gentleness and respect mean, by the way, before we keep going? It's firm, but not loud. It's, it's with conviction, but not hotly arguing. It's not looking down on your opponent with distaste or disrespect. Remember, why were you saved? Because you were smarter than anyone else? You deserved it more than anyone else? The answer is no, folks. We were saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves, that no one may boast. It is the gift of God. Aren't you glad? I am. I'm a knucklehead. I'm hard-headed and stubborn. If it was up to smarts, no way. I was squarely set against God and living what I wanted. But praise be to him for his grace and his mercy towards me. That's why we need to offer the same towards others. The hope that is in you, and I talked about this, is, is the hope in you? Do you have a hope? Are you ready to share? Do you have a personal testimony? And folks, we've been given a mission. Right here it says to be prepared, and it sounds like it's not really a command, but what was Matthew 28 all about? The great commission. It's the command to go and make disciples. We've got to be evangelizing. We're to be his witnesses, Acts 1.8. We have a mission. We've all been commanded to think through our reasons and have grace-filled responses. We are secure in who he is and not fearful of the opposition. Again, persecution does not feel good. Does it? It's painful. Whether it be physical persecution, that's obvious. But also when you're, you have friends that turn on you. That's happened to me. I love people. I'm a people pleaser. That's kind of one of the things I have to be careful of. And I hate it when friends stop talking to me because I'm that Bible thumper. That's, it hurts, right? But you know what? I know who's, who's set apart as holy in my heart as my Lord. And I want to I honor and please him more. Doesn't mean I don't stop praying for him. No way. No way. We can have Paul's mindset. Again, when he talked in front of those, he, he didn't back down from the, the most uh, wise philosophers according to their own thinking. There in Athens, that was the center of philosophy, of the different philosophies. And he didn't back down. We didn't have that mindset because he knew who he served. We can have Jesus' sure promise of return and reward. It says in Revelation 22, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. Does that give you hope? It does me. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Please return. Please vindicate your name. Please save me from this body of death. Look, look, at what the, the, look at the contrast here of the future hope of the unsaved. Job 11.20, their hope is to breathe their last and that's it. I love Proverbs 11.7, 
When a wicked man dies, his expectation will perish. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. If they're not saved, they have no hope, folks. We have their answer. It's not a quick scheme to get rich. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at two different hopes here. I wanted you to see this. Two different hopes and its consequences. A little over a month before he died, the famous atheist Jean-Paul Sartre uh, declared that he, he so strongly resisted feelings of despair that he would say to himself, I know I shall die in hope. Then in profound sadness he would add, but hope needs a foundation. Without Jesus, there is no foundation for hope. Now look, look at, let's look at uh, the Apostle Peter's hope. According to tradition, Peter had to watch as his wife was crucified, but encouraged her with the words, remember the Lord. When it came time for him to be crucified, he reportedly pled that he was not worthy to be crucified like his Lord, but rather should be crucified upside down, which he was. Where was his hope? It was. He knew it was beyond. Beyond this life, he knew that eternal life and his his glorious Savior was waiting there to reward him. Do you long for that? Is the hope bleeding out in your lives? When I, when I go surfing with friends, I want so desperately for my friends, these non-Christians, to know the Lord Jesus. They're great surfers. I'm not. But I just long for them to know Jesus and salvation because surfing's going to only last a little bit, Right? And you name whatever activity it is, whatever these other things that your friends are hoping in, they're all going to fail. They'll reach an end. We have the hope. Are you ready to give an answer for the hope, but do they even see a hope? Let me read you this for my conclusion. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, O may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And let's hear Peter's encouragement to us. Therefore, brothers and sisters, prepare your minds for action, be sober in spirit, Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Is your hope fixed, grounded, established? And does it show? That's my prayer for you, for me, for us. Amen? Amen. Let's uh, pray and finish up with worship. Lord, thank you for your words to us. Thank you for uh, the, the, the joy it is, <laughs> the, the, the absolute uh, 
it just causes praise and thanksgiving when I look at your word to see all these promises you've given us. These promises of your, your sure comfort, your care for us, your preservation of us through this life with all of its trials and temptations and how you, you say that you guard and keep your beloved ones. And you, you keep us all the way, you preserve us all the way to the end, to our glorification according, according to Romans eight twenty eight through 31. And I just praise your name for that because if it was up to me, I would fail miserably and I would go nowhere. So thank you for your saving grace, your sanctifying grace, your preserving grace. Thank you for the hope we have because of who you are and what you've done. These are not empty words. This is not empty ideas. It's, it's locked onto you, Lord Jesus. You are our hope. You are the God of all hope, the one who produces joy in us. And I just pray that we would be a, a people that, that would be just overflowing with joy, overflowing with hope, no matter what trials come our way, that we'd be ready to give an answer because we want people to know you. Because how will they hear unless someone preaches? proclaims, shares. May we be that in how we live and what we say. So we love you, Lord. I thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.